once again into the soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Barretos. This is episode 88. As always, a reminder to please rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend. Check out the entire Soccer OG library at your leisure. It's all there. We're very excited. Just uh, two and a half months to go to less than that, really, to the World Cup. We want it to come here, but we kind of don't because we don't want it to end. But it's here. So let's face it together head on. we got a great show this week, as I always do. Joe Lowry, who is the editor and contributor of Backheeled and also a contributor on the Total Soccer Show. I think you know more about him. He's been this really interesting new voice on the soccer landscape. We're going to have a great chit-chat in the business end coming up. So stick around for that. Should be a real hoot. I already had the conversation. I can assure you it was. We will talk men's national team roster, men's uh, development from every level. And we'll also take a look at an interesting story regarding set pieces on the national team. How do they approach it? It's a big deal. It's a big deal. In stoppage time, we will do a quick preview of the Champions League. We'll give you some of the big stories to keep an eye on on a crazy week where we didn't have any football in England. And I didn't miss them that much, and then I did. Time to get started with the show. Welcome back. A very peculiar weekend, to say the least. No English football because of the passing of Queen Elizabeth II and the process of aligning King Charles III as the new supreme ruler. Is that how you say it? <laughs> um, it's uh, The royal family is very odd. I, I, I try to respect it because it's not my country, not my culture, so... Uh, people, it's very important to people. When stuff is that important to people, you don't try to shed too much light on or to uh, to be too cute with it. Uh, you, it only complicates things for you. So I think it's being very respectful as much as you can. Obviously, the royal family's had its flaws. If you look back, it's from a long time ago, just like our society in the United States has flaws and we can pick it apart. But it's almost a bit, at this point, counterproductive. And uh, so it is what it is. But uh, we talk about it because it... Um, it happened. You know, my issue is not the royal family. It's just the people who adore, worship, whatever the right word is. And, you know, there was a people, I was in the the airport and the People magazine cover had Princess Diana, 25 years later, how have we coped? And I'm like, are you serious? And I think of people that mourned Diana every day. Hopefully it's not that long for these past 25 years, and members of their own family don't get one one-hundredth of of that. And I know it exists, and it, it really bothers me. And same thing with Queen Elizabeth. You see people sitting outside Buckingham Palace for days, and I understand uh, it's your queen, and but remember those things that are close to you, the people that really are there uh, that need that attention. So that's all. I always liked Queen Elizabeth II. I thought she was a really cool cat. And uh, handle things very well. Now, the, another thing with royalty is that it's not really earned. Granted, being elected into office like we've proven in the United States isn't exactly the best means about doing it either, especially in 2022. But just being given uh, the, what do you call it, the monarchy, <laughs> because you're the, the son of this queen, is, is odd. Because you're not going to get the best candidates. And quite frankly, you know, King Charles... Doesn't have the great track record because of the situation with Diana. And when you hear him talk, he doesn't exactly uh, cover you with uh, comfort. Uh, Queen, uh, was it King George? Queen Elizabeth's father, who had the speech impediment, and he came through in a very difficult time. So there's that. But, you know, King Charles, I don't know. So there's no Premier League games, no football in England. There's a big debate whether that should have happened. I, uh, again, I, I don't want to overstep my bounds because I'm just, it's a selfish reason I want to watch these games. I am a believer in the, you know, the games go on. Um, even, you know, when the, the, the 72 Olympics, you look back at that and it's a horrible tragedy. People wanted it canceled. And I really would have felt, I think you, know, you kind of concede if you cancel something because they, these horrible people, these terrorists, and they kill these Israeli athletes, uh, forced you to do that. 
So even though it's a bit distasteful sometime in the memory of these folks, whether it's you start it a couple days later, probably too soon, but a little bit, you finish it. I think that's important. I'm going off a deep tangent. There's so many good things to talk about, but I'm going off on this. Uh, so it is what it is. Uh, it's going to be tif- it, it, tricky to find times for the, you to schedule these games. That's the problem in this year where we have a World Cup in November, December. These players are going to be overwhelmed. So I didn't miss it Saturday. There was a lot of uh, soccer football to cover the cracks, but then uh, Sunday I did. It was really it was pretty bleak. Some good games. And there's some issues down the road, and we have an international break coming up, and England's not going to play there, obviously, but uh, there's those things that we should uh, look forward to. We'll see how it happens in England. I'm going to talk about the English Premier League in stoppage time when I address the upcoming round two of the Champions League. Flamengo and Atlético Paranense reaching the final of the Copa Libertadores. Some good stuff in South America. Uh, we were hoping for the Flamengo-Palmeiras final. Palmeiras, a two-time reigning champion. But Atlético Paranense, who won the Copa Sudamericana, which is like the Europa League of South America last year, and now wins this, or gets to the final with a chance to win this. I'm not betting against them. Flamengo has all the players, but Paranense just knocked out the best team in Palmeiras, who are in first place in Brazil. Brazilian football is just remarkable right now. It's not just a top two, three, four, five. It's like 10 teams, even beyond that. It's a top five league, in my estimation. So uh, that's going to be good. That's going to be a good occasion. Uh, the finals are so uh, memorable as is. Uh, we had Boca River, and it was at La Bombonera, one of the most incredible fan uh, participations. Uh, they had a goal. It wasn't a great game, but just to see that place packed. And you think about two years where these places were, you know, sparsely filled or empty. And we hope we don't go through that again. It's great to see people shoulder to shoulder creating this atmosphere, which is part of this sport. You need to have it. So um, good to see. Good to see. That was a good part. That may have been my favorite part of the weekend. Got uh, Premier League, you leaned into Barcelona, Real Madrid. They both cruised. It took a little bit longer for Barcelona to get going, but boy, did they. Uh, Bayern Munich. We'll talk about them in the Champions League moment. They've uh, they've uh, dropped uh, they have three ties in their first six games, which is uh, three too, two too many, right? By their standard, no one's really taken advantage of. It. Even Freiburg had a chance to go to the top, and they laid an egg. So there you go. It'll get back to normal here. The Champions League, and then we have the international break. I did want to talk about something that I didn't address last time, and it comes back to full circle with something I've mentioned here. And uh, it's the, the, the rights for soccer and how you got to be careful because this is going to be a game changer because, you know, Comcast, NBC dropped so much for the Premier League. Apple dropped a lot, but Apple's got endless money. So <laughs> it's a drop in the bucket. So the MLS deal is a bit of an outlier and it's a different deal altogether. Paramount, Viacom dropping a, a, a massive amount for the Champions League. And that's the one you, you wonder how it's going to look Uh, Because I know in my experience, when you spend money on the rights, even though you can't match it up anywhere, you still try to get closer to a budget if you can. And that requires cutting back on resources, talent, producers, that kind of stuff. So I'm preparing that CBS's coverage is going to look very different in a year or two. I hope I'm I'm wrong. But money's being hemorrhaged. And I don't know how their Paramount Plus service... I don't know how all these streaming services act independently because none of them are completely good enough for to warrant a $10 a month. And I know it sounds like nothing, but that's what people do it. So there needs to be some synergy. But this came out a couple of weeks ago. Comcast looks to cut up to $1 billion from budgets at its TV networks. Peacock at 13 million subscribers showed no growth. The most recent quarter, it lost close to $500 million. $500 million. And I'm not putting that on the Premier League because the WWE went to Peacock, and it didn't really hit their spot either. Uh, that's not enough. You know, you look at Disney, they're just cranking out numbers for their service. And that's, you know, most no, no live programming, right? It's library of movies. So it's just one of the best deals for Disney, that streaming service. Everyone wants it because you all have kids. And if you, don't have a, if, you, if you don't have Disney and have kids, you are cruising for a bruising. You got to have it. So you can watch these movies, Marvel and Star Wars and the animated, the Pixar, etc., etc. 
But, you know, the Premier League, obviously with that $2.5 billion, you knew the NBC had to pay it, but it's it's not worth it. And now you're having, I mean, $500 million? That's insanity. So it takes a hit. And I get worried because people you may know enough or might be out of work or what have you. So um, it's not a perfect situation, our business. Check out the Soccer OG on YouTube under my name, Max Bretos. You're going to love this episode. I have identified 20 players that are locks to make the World Cup. And I'll tell you who the final six to make the U.S. men's national team roster will be. So it's a lot of fun. And I am predicting, and we can circle back here in a little bit, that I will get at least 24 of 26 right. I'm confident in that. I'm almost leaning towards 25 of 26. It's like Joe Lenardi in bracketology. So uh, there it is. Check out that. It's under my name, Max Bretos. Check out the entire Soccer OG library of podcasts here. There's some good ones here. I, I really stand by our conversations. I think you'll enjoy it. So roll it back. Check it out. We are ready to go. Up next, it is the business end. Joined by Joe Lowry of Backheeled and the Total Soccer Show. We're going to roll our sleeves up, talk some USMNT. Welcome back to the Soccer OG. We're into the business end and we welcome in the editor and contributor of Backheeled, who's also a uh, contributor for the Total Soccer Show. You can hear him there, one of the... uh, uh, top soccer podcast in this country. It's Joseph Lowry. Joseph, can I call you Joe, or you prefer oh, yeah. Joseph? Either way, either one is fine, Max. Whatever you want. What do you prefer? I usually I usually go by Joe. Joseph's more so when you know I've I've done something horribly wrong and I'm getting full named by someone. So <laughs> Joe is Joe is usually the go to. I have uh, my full first name is Maximiliano, and I have four middle names. So when my mom uses <laughs> the full name and a middle name or two. Hot water. You know you've done something wrong. You know something really bad. Yeah. (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) You can you can relate. So uh, I'll call you Joe to make sure to take to to take the edge off. Sure, sure. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Thanks for having me. Seriously, this is going to be great. I'm I'm really excited. As I tell uh, the folks who tune in, this is a great opportunity just to uh, recreate maybe a conversation about the sport. We geek out a little bit, and we we hope without the booze, kind of having a uh, conversation at the bar. Absolutely. Maybe at the restaurant. Uh, tell me, by the way, tell me a little bit about Backheeled. And I, I know it's uh, classified as telling American soccer stories, which maybe 20 years ago, you could probably put on one sheet of paper. But right now, it has to be busting at the seams, no? Yeah, I mean, so we're covering everything, if not everything, trying to do our, our darndest to get as close to that as possible, while also looking at it through some different lenses, right? I think we're in a great spot right now in American soccer where there are folks covering what happens in the games. There are folks covering, you know, okay, who scored when and and sort of what was the general flow of the game and giving some good quotes from pressers afterwards. All that stuff is great and necessary. We're trying to take it one step further, right? Whether that's some actual deep dive analysis into what happens on the field. We did that throughout stretches of of, uh, the USMNT's most recent games back in June in Nations League and friendlies with the USWNT's games down at the CONCACAFW Championship, really digging into what's happening on the field. But it's not just analysis stuff, right? I think that's that's for some people, and I love that stuff. But it's not for everyone, right? So we have other things. We've had Sam Jones, who does just incredible stuff for a number of different places, doing some various deep dives into some some sillier MLS topics. So we had him do a, an MLS bingo card, which I think he, he absolutely knocked out of the park, right? So doing some, some sort of stranger ideas that maybe you wouldn't find other places. And then USL coverage, right? We have John Morrissey who watches more soccer than I can possibly fathom on a weekly basis, especially over the weekends. He's grinding the USL tape and, and diving into a lot of the big narratives coming out of what I think, Max, is one of the most interesting developments in American soccer right now. That is the USL. And then we have some some fantastic NWSL coverage as well, both of them and, and the US Women's National Team I mentioned earlier. So trying to, to go one layer deeper and also tell some good stories about American soccer along the way. Let me ask you about USL because it is, and I'm guilty of glossing over it a bit. I don't watch, I watch the postseason. I'll watch some games here. I'll watch the teams are in the US Open Cup. I would, I'd like to watch everything like everyone else. It's just impossible. I invent a lot of things. So if someone says, hey, did you watch the Tampa Bay Rowdies game? Yeah, probably. That's probably some fabrication. But I do. <laughs> it's just an issue of time. But it, it's incredible to see what 
uh, that league is doing when you would think it would be in an untenable situation to be able to grow the sport. And not only are they growing the sport, they're developing players. Uh, the uh, uh, Diego Luna situation, for instance, yeah. where an MLS club comes in and uh, purchases a player to bring him into MLS and he succeeds there. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Kobe Henry, so many others. They're building stadiums as well. The Louisville situation is huge. Uh, and it seems like it's it, the growth is continuing, and there's it's they have a place somewhere there with the development of the American players where the kids 15, 16 can go to USL and use that as a springboard. What is it that excites? And what is it is, that excites you most about this league? And where do you see its place? Where's its future? Sure. Uh, I guess in the big picture of things. Well, I mean, there's a few different prongs here, right? At least a couple different prongs. One is so I'm based in Phoenix. The, the professional soccer team we have here is a USL team, right? And they've been one of the best USL teams. That's not necessarily the case this season. There's been some turmoil on the field, which people are not too happy about here, out here in Phoenix. But they built some some name recognition in the Valley where we have a lot of other top-tier professional sports teams that do still get, you know, the majority of the attention by by a, a long shot. But, I mean, there is that, that attention that they bring to local markets. And that's one thing you talk to Jake Edwards, president of the USL. You talk to other figures in the front office, in the league office there, down in Florida and and there's this recognition that they can fill gaps that simply cannot be filled by major league soccer MLS keeps expanding right and it feels like that's never going to end even though we all know it will eventually right at least we think so <laughs> US is a big country right I mean it's, it's a lot bigger than the, the best countries in the world in terms of soccer at least in Europe right it's, it's massive compared to the, the top tier teams on the other side of the Atlantic so the USL can serve a really good purpose, I believe, at filling in some of those local markets that just don't have MLS teams either, either aren't big enough or there were other logistical hurdles. That's one problem, Max. The other thing is youth development. You mentioned it. Diego Luna's a, a kid that I saw play out here plenty when he was at the Barca resident, uh, Residency Academy in Casa Grande, Arizona. I've seen him play you know, a, a dozen times. He goes to, to USL with El Paso and then gets a move to MLS and he's playing for RSL. Kobe Henry, you mentioned him, from Orange County over to Stadarim in France. He'd been in multiple different MLS academies, decided that USL was the best path for him. Brad Friedel is his agent, by the way, decided that was the best thing for him and goes over to Europe. We're seeing it with uh, Joshua Winder, who's a young center back, that Mark Cartwright, who's the, I believe, the sporting director for USL as a whole, compared to Virgil van Dijk in an interview with Sky Sports, wow. which may have been a, a, a pressure too, too far. Um, Still, if they, if they think of that comparison, there's got to be a little bit of truth to it. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a phenomenal prospect that I, I think is going to turn more and more heads, already is in the U.S. youth national team system. The, the biggest thing that I think really excites me about USL right now, outside of the local stuff, is what it could do in the transfer market, the role it could play. It's never likely going to be, just like the English Championship, which is, I would say, probably the best second division league in the world. Just like the English Championship is never going to be this massive news hub for transfer windows. It's never going to be that because there'll always be the second division. But with the USL, there's a huge market for American players. They're generally undervalued. There's still the sense that they're a good deal is getting priced out a little bit. But but even MLS is still in that category. But USL, I mean, teams are not even scratching the surface there. And I think that's going to be a huge development over the next decade. That is pretty exciting. And I love the fact that the USL extends into markets that normally would have been ignored or overseen, uh, overlooked, I should say. And the way I look at this national team setup, look, taking it a little further, sure. you see players from all over the country. And then, like you said, you realize what a huge country it is. And when I think of that, I go, OK, there's the possibility here where we are sitting on this gold mine where not only could, you know, where they talk about winning World Cups, we could find the, the next Lionel Messi in Santa Ana or in Asheville, North Carolina, wherever it might be. There is this wider net that the USL certainly helps, and the MLS and this the MLS next, and the the, the development programs, the academies across the board, the, the the new the new pivot with the academies. I see this national team, and I'll and like I said, I'll, I'll see a guy from Pennsylvania, then you'll see a guy obviously from Texas, and then you see like a, a Chris Richards from Birmingham, Alabama, and I'm like, man, they're everywhere. These kids are everywhere. Now there's a connection, and there is just no stopping that there's no there's no country like every time we go to europe you, you go to germany it's a huge Euro, it's a huge european country but you can go from one end to the end one end to the other on a train in a matter of hours five six hours less than that you can't do that in the u.s so if soccer becomes more popular and there's money involved 
it really is the sky's limit. So when I, not only do I think the U S could win a world cup based on everything I said, I know I'm going on a bit of a tangent here, but it, it certainly feels like they could level the huge powerhouses once this machine really kicks in. And it's clearly starting to, to grind a bit more than it used to. And I think of Brazil, which is the, the expanse where everyone plays soccer. And we're far, far from that. But uh, if you're able to have a high level of development and you have resources for these, these kids, it's not, it's not far-fetched, is it? I mean, because it's a, it's a huge country and they can come from everywhere. And this is, uh, we're just getting started. And you already see the signs of that, certainly with all these players going to Europe, certainly where there's a lot more money for these guys to make. Yeah, it's going to take time, right? And you're kind of getting at that there, Max. It's going to take time. We're just sort of getting on the road here. With some yeah, of this we're seeing the signs. Starting to climb. We're seeing signs, exactly. I think one of the most interesting things, and I've started to ponder this a little bit more over the last couple of weeks, is, is what do we all, as folks in soccer media and just people who enjoy soccer, what do we start to talk about in, in regards to U.S. soccer after the World Cup, right? Because that's been everything. That's been everything. Leading into 2022 qualifying. Can the team qualify? What's going wrong? Should Greg Berhalter be fired? Okay, things are going all right. We qualify finally back in March. Then the June friendlies, right? And, and the narrative is, seems to always be built on the men's side, certainly, about how can we build players for the World Cup? Who are the players in MLS? Who are the players in USL that are entering into the, the picture? The US U20s go down to CONCACAF and, and win a title there over the summer. Are there any players that could be in the national team fold? What does this look like? So I, I've started to wonder, what do we start to look forward to? What do we start to think about after December, right? After November, whenever the US is, is eliminated from the World Cup. And one of the things I think is continuing these youth development trends. And that's why, again, I think USL, in, in, in the exact same way MLS, they're just in a different stage, right? So it's, it's a little bit of a different story, but still generally the same. I think we'll look at, you know, who are the next group? Who, who are the next players? How are players being developed? And is there, being an, is there enough being done to adequately develop more and more players to continue this really impressive trend we're seeing? I think that's going to be fascinating starting pretty much at the start of 2023. So when the U.S. gets eliminated, what are you going on about? I mean, by eliminated, I mean lifting the trophy. Next, obviously, <laughs> that's a good way to spin it. We're thinking the same thing, you and me, definitely. <laughs> we got eliminated today, but we're gonna love this uh, jewelry made trophy. Uh, we'll take it back. Uh, semantics, I guess. Uh, at the end of, the... <laughs> I, I gotta say, Joe, it, it's very satisfying to be able to see a young player and say, "Okay, I saw him or her," and say. This is this is a uh, mercurial talent, and then you to see it grow. And we, I think we, there's been certain examples of it. Uh, I think Brendan, I'll use Brendan Aronson because we saw him at MLS. Like, well, this guy's got it. And then you see him take the next step and the next. And it, there is kind of an, an arms race to see who can see it first, who can tweet about it. And I'll sit there and on my on my high chair, like, oh yeah, I kind of mentioned this guy a year ago. We all do it because we all enjoy doing it, and it's. Um, I think you're absolutely right. The, we we hate to think of, I, I've actually had some anxiety. Uh, I, first of all, I was like, thank goodness the World Cup didn't happen in the summer because it'd be over. Sure. And then I'm like, well, it's coming here and it's like a hundred days. And now it's like two months. And I'm like, whoa, slow down, slow down. I'm not ready for it because I don't want it to end. And it's going to be difficult because it, it's going to be for all of us. It's going to be overwhelming because we're all going to be involved with it. I hope the U.S. has a good run. I think Worst case scenario, there is uh, a lot of good that comes out of it to prepare them for 2026. But I tend to think that they could do some good things here. But yeah, what do we talk about it afterwards? I, I, I'm very content with seeing that because it's it's a lot. And you also want to look at what happens after a cycle where we weren't in the World Cup, where kids are more inspired. And to your point with the marketplace, where there's so many eyeballs here because they're getting a good deal. You know, a lot of these big clubs can't go to Brazil or Argentina because they ask too much for their players. The U.S. aren't there yet. It's growing in the right direction. But I think all of us can sustain, that cover the sport, could sustain interest from a public by introducing them to the, the next players. Everyone likes them. It's like there are kids. Yeah. So I, I, I 100% believe it. And certainly with that four-year cycle, it, it's not going to be it, – it, there's going to be a, a little downer when the World Cup ends, but it's going to get ramped up pretty quickly, especially if these players make their way to top European leagues, which we're seeing an incredible clip. Granted, not many of them are. Uh, I think there's like a, maybe like six or seven where you could say these are really uh, breakthrough talents that are playing for top clubs that could 
can reach, you know, could start, can play Champions League at a high level, can make the knockout stages. But that's going to that's gonna really double, triple in the next four years. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. You no, know, I mean, 100%, right? A lot of what makes this current U.S. men's national team so compelling, I think, is the narrative, which is accurate, that U.S. soccer sort of drilled into all of us throughout qualifying about how young this team is, right? Greg Baralter talks about it all the time. And I'm not, I'm not blind to the challenge it is to lead a team of, young guys right it's, it's difficult to do that players that don't have experience in qualifying players that don't have much experience period at the professional inter- or international levels i'm not blind to that i think that's a huge part of what makes this team so fun right we think about what what it could be against wales on i think november 21st is the day of opening day for the u.s men's national team and and it very well could be tyler adams who's a, a young dude in his early 20s weston mckenney who's a young dude in his early 20s and Eunice musa who's an even younger dude right i mean it could be those three starting in midfield we're the only country talking about our players and referring to them as dudes. That's 100%. the that's the 100%. American part that I just <laughs> I just want to embrace. We should. We, we absolutely should. <laughs> it's going to be a young squad. And I think that's another part of what makes this group so compelling. You know, people have started to ask, and I'm sure this is happening for you, and it's going to happen for a lot of us more and more as we get closer to the World Cup about, you know, why, why should I care about this U.S. team, right? What is it that makes them interesting? You know, they weren't at the last World Cup. People who are outside the, our sort of soccer bubble – I think think of the men as a joke, right? The U.S. men's national team as a joke. I mean, a, a little bit, especially compared to the women who have done phenomenally well. So, so those people are starting to ask, well, why should I care about this team? They didn't make it to the last World Cup. You know, what's different this time around? They're just going to get bounced and get you know trampled by England. Well, I, I think what I started to tell those people is it's a young group, right? If if you're excited about even not underdogs in their group, I mean, U.S. is still a big name on the international stage, but players that haven't been here before players that haven't done this before players that could start a new trend and, and really bring some, some name recognition to American soccer. I think that's a huge reason to get behind this team. That's kind of what we're getting at with young players being developed and plugged into the national team or, or the national team player pool developing to the point where it's harder and harder to do that. That's a good thing. I think there's a, a ton of reasons to be excited about this world cup run, whether or not it ends with them lifting the trophy. I don't know, but again, the, the, this whole youth, seen whether that's actually in academies or in the national team at the national team level i think that's a massive part about what makes american soccer and, and even more specifically the u.s men's national team so compelling right now it's it's going to be the youngest team at the world cup or one or the one of the next two we'll see how the rosters we don't know that for sure but it's certainly trending in that direction and by the way people want it to be younger and i think it's like an average of 24 i think the what I would have to say, I don't know off the top of my head, but I would imagine the average age of a roster is 27, 28, maybe. And they want it younger. And it's, I'm like, okay, look, the U.S. doesn't have to get younger. They've already committed to a youth sure. movement. So <laughs> at some point you do need some experience and every national team does that. You know, most of the guys that you're going to see at the business end of this tournament playing for the trophy are going to be in their 30s, very late 20s. At least that's that's the sweet spot. And players get better now as they get a little bit older. I think their careers go a little bit longer than they did a few years ago in every sport. It's actually, it's pretty cool. If you get older, which we all do, you can see that. But it's, um, for me, you made an interesting point because this is an opportunity to draw new fans. And that's the lifeblood. That's what's going to be good for us. That's how we're going to have a sustainable future, Joe. That's how you're going to be a millionaire in 10 years if you continue on this process. <laughs> And they're looking there. I know that there's fans that are want to get into it. I know that they're intimidated to get into it because they're afraid from the conversations I've had of kind of being lectured or being told this or that. And I think just talking to you, you're one of the guys I know could certainly, you know, put an arm around someone's shoulder and say, this is what's good. And I think that's what they're looking for. Cause this is an important moment, but, the fact that they can come from the bottom floor where these kids are developing, I think that's a real good hook. And this is something where they could say, okay, here's 2022. I saw these kids that are 19, 20, 21 play. Now I have something, I have a foundation. Yeah, I have a foundation and I've kind of come in on that bottom floor and I could do it. I don't know exactly how it works. We've been trying to expand our footprint and build our audience for years. I've been doing it forever. I've had more misses than hits with, where I've gone, but I do, I I do believe we've got to have that messaging right. But the players will help because they're relatable. Yeah, and they're very American. This is <laughs> this is they they come from everywhere, and then you see it. You know, when you hear a Brendan Aronson interview or Tyler Adams interview in the Premier League, they maintain themselves. Yeah, as they would be. And I think if we can connect the dots with that audience and these players, it's going to hit. 
Well, and, and how cool is that? I love that, Max. You mentioned Chris Richards earlier, this kid from Birmingham, Alabama, Alabama, just barely squeak, squeaking by Texas yesterday in college football. I mean, no one thinks of Birmingham, Alabama, or at least no one outside of Birmingham, Alabama, thinks of Birmingham, nope. Alabama and, and soccer in the same sentence, right? And, and maybe now they're starting to, right? How, how good of a hook is that? You mentioned the word hook. To, to point to Chris Richards on the field against England on Black Friday, which I think could be like the biggest game on American soccer TV, on, on television, this biggest soccer game that we've ever seen, right? How cool to point at Chris Richards and say, yeah, that, that guy's from Birmingham, Alabama. And then to point to, to Eunice Musa and to say, well, oh, that guy, I mean, and he has this really interesting story. Born in New York, was, was brought up at some for Arsenal over in England, now plays in Spain and chose to play for the U.S. You look at Sergio Des, again, these, these players from all sorts of different backgrounds. And then you think about Brendan Aronson, Tyler Adams, guys from the, from the Northeast, and Greg Peralta as well, this Jersey guy who is, is a little bit analytical, but also you go through and, and you start to get really interested in his character and how he's gone about building this team. There's a lot of compelling figures, and I think that's something that people can very much engage with, even folks that aren't soccer fans now that maybe you know we're hoping will be on November 21st when the World Cup starts for the U.S. men's national team. You know, I think those people, like that's that's how you get folks excited about soccer. Maybe maybe it's a strategy, which is the stuff that I nerd out on all the time. Maybe it's it's about you know the growth of the game and youth development. Maybe it's about how youth development and, and these actual players and people. Maybe it's that intersection right there. I think that has a really strong pull for folks that that just don't end up watching the same amount of soccer. It also helps if you're talking about soccer if you can bring in a college football drop to show that you're paying <laughs> attention. Joe, so that was a good that was a good effort by Texas, but you knew it was going to happen as Alabama's <laughs> Alabama. I bring up Alabama because I went to school in the, the deep south and nice. Tallahassee, Florida, Florida State, and I would drive through Alabama. And the idea if I saw a soccer game being played, I'd almost want to cover it up. Guys, what are you doing? You can't play soccer out here. <laughs> this is the Florida panhandle. But it's that's what is doing it. And I think kids from that part of the world would go, wait a minute. He's from here. Uh, so I, I, I gravitate towards him. Even Walker Zimmerman's from Georgia. And there is yeah. it's. The, the development of MLS with these Southern, these Southern clubs. I mean, I feel like I should break into Leonard Skinner at this point, the way I'm going is uh, <laughs> it's tremendous because they're all successful. Nashville, uh, Orlando, obviously Atlanta. Um, the, uh, what am I forgetting? Oh, Charlotte. This is, I would have never thought that would have happened. So that's just going to all play into it. By the way, I'm, we're now I'm in LA and I was like, funny story. I was reaching out to, to Joe to, see if he could make the show. And I go, Hey, so what time is a uh, 9am? Well, noon Eastern time. He's like, no, I'm in Phoenix. And I big grin went on my face. <laughs> we're such a small group on the West coast. People tell me to shut up when I say, don't put really good premier league games in that first window. I'm not no. getting up at 4am. So I don't, I mean, I, I tell people, Hey, did you watch Arsenal United? I go, I'm, I'm, I really wanted to, I can't get up at four on a Saturday <laughs> morning. I go to bed at like one. So it's not happening. So, wrong. It feels wrong. I mean, we, we got to stick. We talked about this right before we started recording, Max. We got to stick together, right? There aren't, you go to these, I know you were at MLS All-Star in Minnesota. I didn't see you there because you were down on the field doing your thing and killing it. Right? Oh, I mean, it's you, nice of you to these, say. You go to these events, you go to games that are, that are you know, big, either national team games or, or big MLS games or whatever it is. And, you know, all the people are, are hopping around from the East Coast and, and there just aren't enough of us West Coasters out there. So I agree. We're standing against these 4 a.m. kickoff times in the Premier League. It's, <laughs> it's not going to happen. Now, I will say the DVR for me has been a wonderful thing. But still, it's not the same as waking up to catch it live. But no. it's just not going to happen. If we make enough noise, they won't put the big games there. I mean, the, the Bundesliga is, is is a lost cause. They put it, everything's sure. early. The Spanish League, thank you. Yes, I absolutely. Mean, <laughs> Noon and 1 p.m. for us, that's the good stuff. That's a cultural thing where they're like, we're, <laughs> we're not getting up sure. at 4 a.m. or whatever time it is. We can kick but, off at 9 p.m. It's not a problem. No worries. My only thing is, and I'm, 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 with all due respect, with all stick Bournemouth and Nottingham Forest at 4 a.m., just be careful. I know the West Coast, because I did this when I worked at ESPN at college football. I said, hey, let's really push this late sports in. And they're like, well, you know what? The West Coast folks don't really, they're not as rabid as the folks in the Midwest or the Southeast. So that ship has sailed. So um, uh, we're, we're focusing on this or the Northeast. You know, that is where the, the their audience really lies. So the West Coast is a little bit, I, a little more laid back as we are, uh, we're 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 said we're always been described as <laughs> which there's a lot of truth to it so the stereotype is real but we'll continue to, to fight that fight that's right uh and i love it when uh the east when i'm on twitter and the east coast media is like what's with this Concacaf champions he's starting at 10 eastern time and i'm like suffer <laughs> shut it 
<laughs> tables have turned. <laughs> the tables, tables have turned. I grabbed that one. Uh, let's talk a little uh, national team. I, it's um, it's this is a big week. They're going to announce the uh, September roster, so we can figure out the remainder. I think of the the World Cup roster. I mean, we've seen Greg Berhalter say that he's got like 20, 20, or I'm sorry, 80%, 75, 80% of it figured out, which I figured he's probably got closer to 100%. He just needs to see things, maybe some injuries. You know, maybe this goalkeeper situation gets dire. It's not great right now, um, but it's, um, these guys aren't really playing that maybe someone comes out of left field. I doubt it. I mean, what are, I mean the expectations here, because I talk to people and they're throwing names out and I go, that's great. And say, you know, Tim Ream's revival certainly warrants him. He's been in the system. You know, Joe Scally is a guy who deserves a long look the way he's played, but it's happening a little bit late. Should he have been brought in earlier? Sure. But I, I just I just can't see a lot of maybe there's one or two. I think Josh Sargent's probably at the top of that list. Sure. He's certainly earned it because he's just a, a breakthrough talent who's like perfect for this system. But um, what? how do you see it? Do you think something surprises you? I, I think I th- I am pretty sure I could pick 24, if not 25 of the 26 players correctly based on how this has gone, because he's not going to pull the rug on some guys. It would be really cruel. It is. Some people say bring in a young player like Gaga Slonina because he's he's one for 2026. 20, I answer. We don't know that for sure. So if it's a, if it's a gut call, you go to the guy who's been there in camps and is going to get his chance probably at one World Cup. I don't know. I mean, if it's a if it's a talent that you you can't resist, then yeah, you bring him in there. If we have that Lionel Messi playing in Asheville, North Carolina, you find some room for him. Of course. But th- they've had those guys, and those guys have already been incorporated. And I will say this about Greg Berhalter, despite the pushback he's had, because you know the group of players that he started with last year playing, you know, there was Jackson Yule and Sebastian Legette. Those guys had a shot. They they've kind of gone to the wayside, and been the young players have seized the moment. He's been very, very respectful for the youth movement, and he's given those guys, by and large, a good chance. And those guys have already made it. But how do you, when you think about the final spots or how it looks, how how firmed up do you think it might be? I think it's pretty firm, Max. I, I'm generally on your side. Everything of this as like a, a spectrum, right? I think you and I are maybe a little closer to the end that says things are are largely figured out, and then the other end is well, we want to see X, Y, Z new things, and and that there's reason for that, right? Because it's fun and it has been fun to talk about this U.S. team as this evolving entity. And it has evolved a lot, even under Greg Berhalter. And some of that evolution, I think, has taken a little too long, right? And some things have taken a while for players to be phased out, for new players to be brought in. But by and large, I think the evolution is is done. You don't want to be evolving a ton two months before a World Cup. That's, that's not where you want to be. You want to be in a position where these friendlies against Japan and Saudi Arabia are used to get your guys dress ready rehearsal. for the tournament. It's not as fun, but it is the dress rehearsal. It's not as exciting as maybe you can find this great guy for this for this main role. People want that. Not it, It's fun, right? We want that. Those stories are good and compelling, but I, I just don't think that's the reality at this point. If you're Greg Berhalter, it's not practical to bring in a ton of those players. Now, I will say, I think there will be some involved. Josh Sargent, I would be surprised if he's not back in with this group. As good as someone like Brendan Vasquez has been, um, as good as Jordan Peacock has been for stretches of the European season already over in Germany, I think Sargent might have the inside track because of his style and how he plays. I, I think his emergence and, and really resurgence at Norwich City in the in the championship might be enough to get him involved. So I, I think he could be involved. You mentioned Joe Scally. I actually think he has a decent shot of being involved as well. I think because, so too. Yeah, I mean, we saw him back in June and we saw him, you know, bits bits and pieces. I think now he's he's playing well at Gladbach. He's playing he's playing fine at Gladbach, which is a good level. So playing fine in the Bundesliga is nothing to, to stick your nose at that. I think we'll see someone like Scali. We could even see someone in, in midfield, Georgia Mihailovic. I think there's a good chance we see him. But again, we're talking three or four names of players that you know, we might see 15, 20 minutes of. Or, or none. Or none, right? Because <laughs> there is so little time left. It would have been great to see Georgie in June. And that would have sort of taken his name off of this list of newcomers. But he, he deals with the injury with, with CF Montreal and doesn't make that camp. It would have been great to see him. It would have been great for Malik Tillman to make this emergence sooner. I, I think he's still facing a, a pretty steep uphill battle to get involved in this squad. So, again, three or four names. We'll see very little, most likely. It's not as exciting to say that. It's not as fun to say that stuff. But I think there is also a very fun – you just have to look at it a little bit differently. There's a fun reality where we're going to get to see the World Cup team play 
a decent chunk of minutes in two games, two months before the World Cup, there's something there, even if it's not this new shiny angle that I think, you know, we're all sort of drawn to naturally. Joe Scally and Sam Vine. So there's a left back and I was discussing this with a few folks and Anthony Robinson, where it's kind of in the gray area about yeah. his injury. I'm sure he's going to be ready, but the fact that this injury happened, you need to have cover. And all of a sudden, if you get a pure, uh, the right, the, you know, the inverted or bringing some guy who's a right, I, sure. I just bodes well for one of those two guys. So I think one or two get called in here and one might actually, I think one makes the roster in uh, November. I, I do. It's, it's just be by necessity because like you said, you, you want to fill out this roster where it's you, you have your 26 best, but the last few guys are probably not going to play maybe a spot role here or there. There'll be some specialist situations. I think you said like a Jordan Peefock who could come in to face a header or a cross or two at the end of a game, which could be handy. And, but the left back is pretty tangible. And we have, uh, you know, Serginho Dest also not a hundred percent. He's kind of coming back. Hopefully that happens, but you need game time. But there's the, uh, there's a, uh, those are some big decisions. I think it's pretty close, but then on the flip side, there will be a surprise or two. I don't know if you can call it that. I just, I just know if there's, I'm going to use Paul Ariola as an example, who's been there along for the ride. I just can't see uh, Greg Berhalter going to him. Eh, I just don't have enough room for you all of a sudden. It just doesn't seem, it doesn't add up. It's yeah. happened in the past, but it doesn't add up. So it feels, it feels unlikely in, in a number of these situations. Now I'm not going to say it's impossible. And I'm not totally convinced that on merit, Paul Ariola should be involved in this squad. Yep. But I mean, he's been around, right? He's he's been doing this job and he clearly does things that Brawlter likes. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been around for this long. And you also think about some of the other injuries in that winger pool. So Gio Reyna is just now sort of getting back to full fitness. Tim Weah is not playing for Leo right now because he's hurt. Christian Pulisic hasn't been playing because he's been under Thomas Tuchel's thumb for a while. Maybe that's maybe that's changing. But there is certainly a spot there for a winger. Maybe Brawlter surprises us and he does audition someone like Malik Tillman again and he plays well and, and Paul Ariola does stay home I don't know what that's going to look like but again I, I think we're we're saying the same thing it's going to be relatively few spots that are up for grabs maybe the, the end of the number nine depth chart is up for grabs a little bit maybe there's a spot still in central midfield that George Mihaljevic could snag maybe left back could be an area that, that Berlter has to sort through whether he brings a right footer as the backup or he uses Sam Vines there and I think generally the center back stuff is pretty well sorted as well We'll get a much better read on this stuff in a few days, but but generally, I think it's going to be about, and this window should be for seeing the best players in the pool go out there and play and get ready to to play their best at the World Cup. I laugh, I laugh, Joe, because you said we could get a better idea, but I just can't wait. And we talk about it now. We're already like skipping the September games, sure. trying to project what happens. It's lunacy, it really is, <laughs> but it, it's it's the way it goes. Now, by the way, I I actually put together my roster and I had Ariola in, but a guy like Jordan Morris, I didn't, and he kind of fits the same category yeah, as Ariola. There's just not enough room for everybody. Yeah, and and that's the challenge that Peralta faces, right? Is is he's brought a lot of these guys along, and there's also been some some young players emerging. How do you balance that? How do you still keep? chemistry within the squad. Christian Waldan's been around for a long time as well. He would fit into that category, but he's been injured with Seattle. So, so maybe that sort of makes Brawlter's decision for him. It's not an easy decision to make by all given that Roldan seems to be just a really great locker room glue guy. I'm not as high about what he brings on the field for the national team, but there's certainly something to be said for this interpersonal stuff that happens that we don't, that we're not privy to. So these are hard choices. And at times like this, I'm very thankful that I'm not Greg Brawlter because having these difficult conversations sounds miserable and Berhalter's been on the other end of these conversations before as a player which I do think puts him in a, a better position to relate to players that he's going to have these tough calls with but man it is it's a brutal thing and, and again I would much rather be on this side of the field talking about this stuff than actually having to make those calls yeah and Greg is a guy that you know has that personal touch I mean he's a good dude I mean we don't know about how he looks like as a coach and he he had his his critics I've been one of those critics from time to time but the way he's managed this roster I think he's an A plus the guys are in, but these, dis these conversations are going to suck. And some guys have worked so hard for probably one world cup in their life are going to see it yeah. disappear. So just keep that in mind when you do it, there's a lot of hard, we've all dealt with it. We've all kind of in our own personal way dealt with disappointment, but this is the world cup and it's uh it's, it's going to be very tough. I, one other thing you mentioned about midfield, I think there's a possibility for someone there. And you mentioned Mihalovic or maybe Eric Williamson, we blend in the wingers and the midfielders, but there's there's certain guys that can play a six or an eight. And if even though Gio Reyna and Brendan Aronson are considered that, they're not really that that type of Adams, 
McKenney type midfielder. And I, I had five with Adams, Musa, McKenney, Delatore, and Kellen Acosta, who are locked in. And I figure there's maybe room for one more. So maybe there's another surprise there. That's the kind of the under told story of do you want an extra guy there that could probably play some minutes because he could fill in for two guys, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, there's a possibility. It would have been rolled on, but I think your point about the injury makes a, a hard decision a little easier. And maybe a younger guy that's shown that talent gets in there. So the more I talk about it, Joe, maybe we there's we know a lot less than we think we do. Well, I mean, again, yeah, there, there's a few things. There's a few things. There's a few areas we kind of we kind of talked about those areas, but I, I still don't think that those things should necessarily distract from the development of this team in September, which is going to be a short window. It's not a long time. Baralter doesn't have a ton of minutes either on the training field or on the field to, to continue to shape this team. But I, I would wager, and certainly I think Greg Baralter would agree with this. You know, this is about his guys, like like the guys that he thinks that he really backs on November 21st to go out there and continue to refine their play together. Because generally speaking, with how injury prone some of these players have been, we still haven't seen a lot of minutes with the best guys on the field together. I mean, how many minutes have we seen with Serginho Dest and Gio Reyna and Christian Kulisic and McKenney and Musa and Adams and uh, on the field together? It, it might be zero. I don't know what the number is. If it's not zero, it is very, very low. We just haven't seen it. And so I think this is a great chance over the next couple of weeks to see it play out. And, and sort of the rest of the roster stuff is important. I'm not trying to say it's not. But I think for, for Berhalter, at least, that takes a secondary role to some of this actual on-field stuff. Yeah. And for those who are looking for a, a number nine option, we mentioned Sargent, you, mes- you mentioned Vasquez, and there's Pifok and Haji Wright, and they all deserve to be in there. But even if they all brought in, you can't get the minutes where you're going to be able to look at them and say, all right, I'm making a snap decision here. I'm going to get Pifok over Haji Wright and just see he has a little bit more pizzazz or whatever you want to call it. This is not realistic, so... He's got to keep it. He's got to uncomplicate things for himself. You know, if you if you bring in these players, it's going to get going. You don't want to bring in false hope. Man, it's a nasty, it's a tough job. <laughs> but I did want to look, you had a tweet and it was very interesting to me and I wanted to bring it up. Uh, you mentioned uh, Lars Knudsen, uh, yeah. I hope I pronounced it, about being the set piece coach. And set pieces are terrifying for me because we don't, you were mentioning we have so many good options because you were talking about the Weston McKinney goal that he scored in Champions League. So you have Weston McKinney, who is a threat off a corner kick or set piece. Walker Zimmerman, Aaron Long. Uh, Aaron Long has got four goals in MLS, which is a great total. Um, Walker Zimmerman doesn't, but we know he's capable of doing that. Sure. He's had his fair share of goals. There are maybe Josh Sargent, maybe Jordan P. Fogg. There's a lot of guys that could probably head in an important goal. The question is, for me, who hits that ball? And I'm yep. sure the same question for you, because Christian Pulisic hasn't really, that's not his best attribute. He's got a lot of great attributes. Free kicks, corner kicks, not up there. Who else? Um, I'd say Kellen Acosta would be the second option. I just don't see Kellen getting on the field a lot to do that. I did the FC Dallas LAFC game. I always call the LAFC games. Jesus Ferreira is pretty handy in those positions. I mean, he was pretty, pretty menacing. I don't know if that comes in, but you got the coach. To me, this is a a really, this is a place where the U S can separate from some teams because of the, the beneficiaries in the set pieces, the benefactors, we don't know yet, but I mean, how, how big or how small of that of a role is that? But the fact that you tweeted about it certainly tells me that there's, there's some uh, meat on this bone. Yeah, it's something I've been thinking about a little bit with this U.S. team. They've had some issues in the past creating chances in open play. I think the, th- the biggest thing that doesn't get talked about a ton under Greg Berhalter has actually been how good they've been defensively. They don't tend to give up a ton of chances, even against good teams. They've been solid, but, but the attack at times has lagged, and it, it's been covered over by some of the defensive stuff. But set pieces can be a, a really great weapon for the U.S., and, and Max, I totally agree. There are massive questions about who's serving those balls, and, and – I know maybe that sounds like hyperbole and maybe, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's just a few seconds out of a game at a time. And there's a few set pieces every game. But I think it could play a big role in this U.S. World Cup run if we see one because of how many players are there to head the ball home. McKenney, Zimmerman, Long, you mentioned a bunch of them. You've been thinking about some of the number nine options. Josh Sargent can be a useful player in the air. Brendan Vasquez, if he's called up. Jordan Peefock, certainly if he's called up. There's going to be at least one or two nines in this squad that can be dangerous in the air. 
So then the question is, you bring in the set piece coach, which I think is a fascinating development by the U.S. with a few months before the World Cup. You bring him in clearly to, to, to work on set pieces, clearly seeing it as an area that you can really maximize and take full advantage of at the World Cup. That's the only reason why you do that. So who serves the ball in? Jesus Ferreira is a really interesting one and not one that I would have thought of first of. Me neither. I just, it just hit me this weekend. Yeah, I mean, he's great on the ball. Ferreira has a really nice right foot. He's a technical player. He's not really a threat in the air at all. So bringing him out of the box, I don't think is, is a big issue. That could be an interesting choice. You mentioned Acosta, I think can do a decent job. Gio Reyna is the other one that, that comes to mind for me. But the question with him is, is he going to be on the field, right? Because of how little he's played and how injury prone he's been like I mentioned with some of these other guys earlier. So if he's playing, I think Gio Reyna is probably that guy. If not, maybe it's Acosta. If not, you know, Pulisic, despite not being very good at it, to my eye, still is someone I think holds a lot of weight with this team. So maybe we still continue to see him sort of bash his head against the wall. Maybe something happens there. Or maybe it's a wild card. Like it's just rare or someone else that we didn't expect. Hopefully that gets sorted out. And maybe we'll get some more info on that in September as well. More late nights for the uh, coaching staff figuring this one out. Uh, it's just crazy. And uh, it, the, the set piece situation also is pretty, it's it's enormous because I think with Christian Pulisic and others, they're going to get set pieces. That's what yeah. he's good at is yeah. getting fouled and setting up a free kick or maybe pushing to the, the byline and getting a corner kick there. Those are going to come up. That's why this to me is uh, a, a pretty significant part of this, this U.S. team. We shall see. Uh, the uh, what I lost my train of thought there. Um, the well, I'll skip it. We'll just get to the World Cup. <laughs> I had it. I got to. I got to write things down. And I, I was telling Joe that when I, we started this, I got one of these rolling LA blackouts, which they always threaten. I go, "You're not going to do it." Well, they did it. They did it. But I still, my laptop was charged. We were all good, so we were able to uh, to persevere. Uh, how confident are you of this? Uh, what the U.S. can do? Because this is. You know, I'm, I'm going to hopefully do in a daily World Cup show with the soccer OG and uh, it'll be it'll be it'll be good. This total soccer show you'll be contributing on there and whatever you do. If the USA makes a quarterfinal, our audience will double, triple, quadruple. Sure. <laughs> so uh, we, we, we're on we're on there. We're the caboose on the train here and hoping to do that. But um, I'm I'm optimistic. And you know what kind of made me a little more because we, we 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 beat this team up because of how they do in CONCACAF. And I think any country in their region is going to struggle qualifying when you have familiar foes. And we judge this team based on how they do against Honduras and Costa Rica and, and Mexico, obviously. But if you the two games they had against Uruguay and Morocco kind of gave me a little light. I wish we had more games like that. Yeah. I'm glad we have Japan, Saudi Arabia. I think under the circumstances, those are pretty good games. Japan was almost a quarter finalist in the World Cup. They're good. They had great young players, players popping up everywhere. Yeah. Um, in the Bundesliga and so forth. They go, they've Japan's gonna be a handful in that World Cup, but this, we won't talk about Japan as much as I'm tempted to. I want to talk about every team, and I know you guys will uh getting closer to it, as as will I. But when I saw those games where they're not facing a lower block and they're facing a team that plays them a bit, there was these moments where you go, the U.S. is so comfortable here, uh, particularly in Morocco, who, you know, people diminished what they did and they were missing a couple of key players. And I know I'm going way back in time, but it's uh, the U.S. got theirs. And the same with Uruguay. If, you, if that was a World Cup, you beat Morocco, you tie Uruguay, four points, you're going to the round of 16 yep. against two good teams. Two high. Morocco's a very good African team. I think... After Senegal, the best African team at the World Cup. But I, I know it's a small sample size, but I looked at that and how they, they weren't burdened by playing in San Jose against a team playing a certain way and being frustrated. That Wales, England, Iran, they, the points are there for them. 100%. I mean, I think it is entirely possible for the U.S. to make it out of this group. I think that should be – that's the line, right, when we're talking about this team is, is the, the first goal here is to get out of the group. I think it is possible. I, will I be shocked if they don't? Probably not. Will I be disappointed? Yeah. I mean, there's certainly an element of that. But I, I think it is possible for this team to get out. You look at some of the, the odds and the betting numbers, and they're favored to get out of the group as the second team behind England. I think that feels about right when you watch this team and you go through and you watch some of Wales and you watch some of Iran. Two very capable teams with, with game-breaking talent. Iran, uh, a team that not a lot of folks know about. They've gone through some managerial changes very recently. Going from, going from one coach to the other, Dragan Skokic, and then 
Uh, Carlos Quiroz is, is back involved in a name that maybe some folks out there are already familiar with, he, former Iran coach. He almost got them through to the round. He almost won them that group. It was yeah. so weird four years ago. Right, and that was a tough group as well for Iran. Yeah, so, Spain, Portugal. There is there is talent in this group, but there's also talent with this U.S. team. So I, I think they are fully capable of getting out of the group. Greg Brothers talked about this before, and I think this is a, a really interesting and, and good way to look at things. He's talked about this idea of there being two tournaments at the World Cup. The first tournament is the group stage where you have a little bit of leeway, right? You have some flexibility. You can go out and, and have a really rough day against Wales and still get out of the group. So that's the first tournament. It's the knockout round. Sorry, it's, it's the group stage. The second tournament then being the knockout rounds where really there's, there's not a lot of mercy. There's not a lot of leniency, but there is this, this variance that happens in a single game. We see this in MLS all the time in the playoffs. RSL go out there and, and tank against the Seattle Sounders. They don't do much of anything in the attack. They don't shoot the ball and they still beat the Seattle Sounders, right? I mean, this stuff can happen in knockout games. So Berhalter, when he's asked about, you know, can you guys go in and win the whole thing? Well, yeah, you can, right? Because it doesn't take, but a, a little bit of luck, a little bit of the ball rolling your way. And obviously some good performances as well to make a deep run in that second tournament, the, the second phase of the world cup. So I think the U.S. could make a run. I think they could do it. It is not impossible. Is it likely? No, right? Of course not. That's just how this game works. Is it likely for England to do that? Not, not all that much more likely. Once you get into that second, that second phase, a lot of wild stuff happens. So there's a chance for sure. And I think this team has every bit in them to make a, a really fascinating deep run in this tournament. Am I, am I just putting the house on it? No, of course not. But, you know, could it happen? Yeah, why not? The tournament is going to be a weird World Cup. It's going to open up for some country. Why not the U.S.? They're going to open sure. up or they go, someone that was supposed to win a group didn't. And then you're like, oh, hold on a second. It's going to happen. It may happen for multiple teams. But we'll see if uh, the U.S. because it's not going to be easy, obviously. It's not going to be easy for anyone. But it's uh, – I just I, – if they don't get out of the groups, I may obviously be disappointed. But as long as they don't lay an egg, because there's always this build towards 2026 right. is something that uh, we can look forward to. Joe – took in so much time. I was almost about to go down a wormhole and go, let's talk more about Japan or Iran. And we better, because <laughs> I know this is the thing about this. It's, it's an endless pot, but it's so compelling. And we'll, we have all the time over the next few months oh, to yeah. talk about the world cup and when we do it, but man, it's been great to talk with you. And really I, as uh, I, I learn a lot and it's great to see people that uh, put their heart and soul and give smart, uh, just interesting content out there and you're certainly one of them uh with back healed as well as total soccer show which i listen to as much as i can i really enjoy it and uh it's uh it's good that you've been uh, been able to part to take that to an exciting new uh level with the world cup uh looming yeah max thanks so much for having me this has been a blast seriously for me too joe lowry check him out uh one of the good guys they're all the good guys there's a couple bad guys but he's one of the good guys <laughs> soccer og out of the business and we'll be back we'll preview a little bit of the champions league next in stoppage time back now for stoppage time and we enjoyed that with uh, joseph lowry i sure did uh, stoppage time i usually like to be a little more specific with the topics but we're going to talk champions league uh, the second round of games coming your way this tuesday and wednesday i think it's a relief for a lot of fans after a uh, less than compacted weekend of football because no action in england i include the championship because we all watch a little championship english championship these days because of What's happening with uh, the American players there, which is not good right now, frankly, not good. Zach Steffen has just fallen off the map at Middlesbrough. Uh, Matthew Hoppy hasn't really come in. You do have Sargent. You do have good stories like Austin Trusty, and uh, it's worth keeping tabs on. But uh, the situation with Middlesbrough, because Zach Steffen was projected by many to be the starter. I don't know how you could possibly start him now. He still makes the squad. But goalkeeping is now a very nervy situation. And a reminder to check out the Soccer OG on YouTube. My final six players after I identified 20 locks, the final six players to make the roster to go to Qatar. It's all up there under my name, Max Barretos. So we'll talk a little bit more about the men's national team there. But I'd like to give you different content in different spheres. So... There it is. Champions League coming your way tomorrow. And there's some big stories. And I'll start with the one that I already touched on. Is like, how did the English teams fare after not having any action? And not to mention, it's got to be a very heavy situation because of the death of Queen Elizabeth II. 
the funeral's coming up, and that's going to put the Arsenal game on Thursday in peril. And uh, who knows how to react? And the, the English teams obviously have some problems. Liverpool losing to Napoli is a big one, certainly. Tottenham Hotspur cruised. That's a good sign for them. Manchester City cruised as well. Uh, but then you have the Chelsea. So you have two English teams that, you know, we expect all four English teams to make the round of 16. We expect all four English teams to make the quarterfinals, truly. So uh, it's something to keep an eye on. And I think Chelsea will get well. Now they'll have some time with Grand Potter, but they would like some time. They don't get the time here because match day two is upon us. So we look at that. Tottenham's at Sporting. Liverpool at home to Ajax. Ajax looked amazing in their opening game. I mean, they just blew the doors off. Uh, who did they play? Oh, I'm drawing. A, oh, Rangers. They crushed Rangers for zip. So um, Liverpool and Chelsea have some concerns here. And now Chelsea played Red Bull, uh, a home to Red Bull Salzburg. You know, if anything happens wrong there after the loss to Dinamo Zagreb, they could be in peril. So uh, that's a big story to watch. And we want to see how they all bounce back. Uh, the, the thing with Manchester City is this has to be the year, right? Because the, now you realize what they were missing. And it was Erling Haaland, a guy who will just score a ton of goals in front, who can tap them in. Uh, a lot of easy goals, but that's what you want. They, I think they're going to pile up numbers. I think he's going to have 30 goals in the Prem. And I think he's going to have 12, 13 in the Champions League. It's going to be huge. So there you have it. The English team's obviously a big story there. Now, the other one are the City A teams. And the City A has labored um, in this competition over the last few years. They've had a couple nice stories. Atalanta in 2020, obviously making it far, almost to the semifinals. Uh, Roma's had a, a, that one good tournament in recent years. Juventus have come off the boil. The Milan teams are just coming back. Inter has been a disaster in the Champions League since they've been able to make the field again. And, you know, I, they're not getting through, I don't think, in that group. Everyone thought it was a group of death, but inter, I just don't see them competing with Bayern or Barcelona. And that's obviously the big game of the weekend. Bayern hosting Barcelona. Bayern struggling a bit in, in domestic play, but obviously moving right along in the Champions League. And by the way, after two match days, we really, you really have a nice chunk of the tournament under your belt. So you better get into... You better get into a good groove or match day three, four rolls around and you're in trouble. Certainly to win a group, but it's going to be tricky. So now what happens with the Serie A? We have Napoli. Napoli play at Rangers. Was the win over Liverpool um, more of a situation of catching a team at the right time? I tend to think it was. Napoli had a lot of guys play out of their mind and that win alone should get them into the round of 16. But it's not a guarantee. And Rangers at Ibrox are always going to be tricky. Uh, Both Scottish teams, I think, will make it difficult for an opponent or two. Napoli is the good story. Other than that, you have Inter, who lost at home to Bayern. Uh, They'll have Victoria Pilsen, which a, a game they should win. Then you have Juventus, who played very well but lost to PSG in the opener and have really been poor in their domestic campaign. Lucky to escape with a point against, well, not lucky because they came back, but they should have had the game winner late. So obviously disappointing there from the Juventus. And Milan tied at Red Bull Salzburg. Milan's the one you think could maybe make a run. I just don't know. I don't know if the Serie A, you know, they call them the Farmers League with the French League. and the, they, they are a little more farmery than they are uh, elite team. I refuse to think any otherwise. Inter won't get through in their group. You have Napoli, which should. Milan probably should with Chelsea. And then Juventus probably should with PSG. Juventus take on Benfica. So that's a story to keep an eye on. The Serie A. As for the big games, Liverpool, Ajax. I mentioned Bayern, Barcelona, Juventus, Benfica, Real Madrid, Leipzig also. And we'll take a better shape of this. So enjoy it. Uh, the games are coming your way tomorrow. I'm taping this on a Monday and then on Wednesday. I think we can all look forward to seeing what happens afterwards. And man, this is going to be a complete sprint heading into the World Cup. We, we didn't know how it was going to look like. It's going to be weird. And now with what happened with the Queen, it's going to be even 
weirder. So there it is. The Soccer OG. Rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend. Check out the Soccer OG library of podcasts. Check out the Soccer OG on YouTube under my name, Max Bretos. We got you covered. I have some huge news that I'm working on for the World Cup. Could not be more excited. But until it's firmed up, I will not share it. But keep in mind, some big plans on the horizon. That's all the time we have. Again, thanks to Joseph Lowry. We'll be back again next week. Until then, Placido Domingo.